Hi, and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. Today's guest is a good friend of mine. Uh, he's got an impressive bio, to be fair. So started off in the corporate world as an engineer in a quite a large company. He was involved in the flotation of that business and then made a brave move to um, leave the corporate world and go full-time into property. He's a father of three kids, very, very... Um, what's the word, D devoted father, I think, from the outside looking in, I think that's fair to say, uh, a bit like myself, so big respect there, having three of them's not easy. Um, he's big into property now, so him and his wife um, are Capstone Fox, he's battle HMOs, now looking at some bigger stuff, you check him out online, I'm sure you'll see that, development conversions as well, very, very knowledgeable guy, um, someone who I holds in quite high regards, um, knowledge-wise and skill-wise. So welcome to the show, uh, Charlie Sullivan. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Terry. Thanks for inviting me to be on. Probs. No problems at all. Thank you for taking your time out today. Really appreciate it. Um, so what we like to do, Charlie, is um, on the show, we like to look at your life so far and the experiences that you've had, and we'll hopefully extract as many lessons and learnings from your life and your experiences to hopefully inspire, motivate, and educate other people. So if we looked at your life up until right now, and we partitioned it up into three parts, so we looked at the start, being your upbringing and your getting into the corporate world, starting off your career. Uh, the middle part would be the really exciting part and the big things that you achieved around the flotation and property and things. And then the current is obviously where you are now, what your attention is on, what you're looking at going forward. So if we could start by just talking about the, the star pot, really, Charlie, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think when you first asked me to be on, we, we discussed at length, didn't we, the, the fact that I kind of felt a bit of an imposter, really, in, in the sense of my story is, is not really one of a rags to riches from a, a material point of view. If anything, my, my parents were, were working class kids who had that story. So they went from, you know, quite humble beginnings uh, grew businesses and and had some great success um, so that when I came along you know I, I grew up in in a great family home in a nice part of the country in, in Cheshire and and so I had a lot of um, opportunities I, I would say early on um, I think the thing for for me is uh, my my story took a bit of a, a change in direction in my early 20s but certainly as a kid um, I sort of sat in this bracket of like I wasn't the smartest in class, but I also wasn't one of these who's like, I was terrible and therefore I had to turn to entrepreneurialism. I was almost like, I was all right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was almost good at lots of things. And, and in yeah. many ways, that was kind of like maybe one of the reasons that I, I, I lacked confidence early on. And, and my mum and dad used to say I was a late bloomer, you know, in, in the sense that I was quite small and then I grew quite later into school. And I was always okay at, at most stuff within school, but I never really excelled to the point of standing out above the crowd. Um, but yeah, certainly had a great upbringing, great family unit, um, good education. And then I went into um, engineering. So I studied mechanical engineering at Newcastle, um, really to kind of follow in the footsteps of my father. My, my dad was an engineer first and foremost, and then he'd gone on to do other things in business. And I guess there was part of me that, kind of, I suppose, wanted to follow in his footsteps and see some of the great things he'd done. And I was like, well, I'd like to kind of do that myself. Um, so yeah, it was a good degree, made some great friends, had some uh, good, 
good nights at uni up in your your hometown, Newcastle. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, every night's a good night in Newcastle, isn't it? Let's many right. of them I can remember, many of them I can't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it was uh, a great time uh, to be a student. And then I then went on to basically work in engineering up in the Northeast. And as you'll know, the Northeast has got a very rich history in shipbuilding and in the offshore industry. Uh, and so I went to work for a local engineering company designing equipment really for the back deck of ships and um, and and kind of earning my stripes if you like as a design engineer again I wasn't terrible like you know I don't think anybody died or anything went wrong from some of my calculations but I also didn't really excel as as an engineer um, I, I kind of sat somewhere in the middle um, but really I've, I've always been personable I've always had a passion to you know build relationships and so that kind of took me into more of a sales environment so once I've done a few years designing I then moved into sales and business development and I would say that was kind of a turning point in my career where I, I, I started to realize I had strengths in other areas that actually I was pretty good at and um, and so I just applied myself there and moved around a few companies um, I once heard the phrase, someone said they, their career path was more career the, the verb than the noun. You know, they sort of bounce from one job to the next. And, and that's kind of what I did. I, I, I was trying to find my fit and my opportunity within a business where I could grow and where there wasn't like um, a ceiling above me. You know, I was in quite a few roles where there were either other people preferred or I, it just wasn't happening. So I took some steps to go and join companies that were in quite an early stage and that's really where it, my corporate career took off and um, culminated in in floating a business on the London Stock Exchange. Wow. Okay, just going back a step on the sales thing. What, what was it about sales? So I'm in sales. I'm proud to say, you know, I'm a salesperson. I think everybody's in sales to some degree. You know, mm-hmm. if your yeah. partner wants to go to this restaurant, but you end up going to the one that you prefer, you've sold here on that restaurant, right? <laughs> So, so everybody's in sales is some degree, but was there anything that you're specific about sales that you enjoyed, that you loved, that you just took to? Or I think, you know, sales has this, this kind of view of like someone in a blue suit with brown shoes and, and having all the Coffee tricks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and actually I've, I've learned, you know, certainly over my time in the corporate world that building the relationships, like being able to, to read a conversation and read a person and find out what's important to them were, was key. And, and I would work with people who are more experienced than me and I would learn from them and they would remember things about clients, like what school the kids went to or, you know, whether they're into golf or something else. And you don't have to be into those things. Um, but if you can remember little details like that, it really helps to develop and grow a relationship with a potential customer or client. And, and that kind of taught me that actually you can have the best products in the world and you might, you might sell a few, but if you are someone who's good at building relationships and friendships really with, mm. with your customers and your clients, you can go a lot further because ultimately it's all about selling yourself, isn't it? And people want to buy into you as, a, as an individual, as much as the, the product or thing that you're selling. So I think early on, I probably tried to pull out a few of the, the sales tricks and, you know, mm. and, 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 and sort of try and try and pick up skills in that sense. But I've sort of learned as time's gone on that actually it's more about people than, than it is the specific product. Definitely. People buy people. Mm. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Do you think a lot of the sales things that you learned back then you've carried 
through into negotiating on properties and things? Do you think that put you in good stead for what the, the bigger stuff that you're doing now? Yeah, and, and I don't think I realised at the time, but like offshore engineering is a, it's a, well, I knew it was a highly dangerous environment, but it's a hugely technical industry. Like, you know, you're dealing with, you're dealing with people's lives on ships out at sea in storms trying to get oil out the sea. <laughs> it's like, it's not easy. Like, you know, there's Life a, lot, yeah. there's a yeah. lot that can go wrong. And at the time, I just thought, well, you know, it's technical and this is just what you do. But I've, now I'm in another industry. I've realized like there's some super clever people um, in that industry. And actually, like the margins and, and the profits to be made, like it, it uh, are not really as big as they should be to warrant the level of technical expertise that goes into it and in contrast there's other industries and I think you could say that about property where you can do a lot better financially with you know 10% of the technical ability so I learned and, and when I joined Techmar who were the company that we took to flotation I had to sell a product that other companies had they had a stronger track record than us they had a better product than us and they had longer term relationships with clients and I joined that company in 2014. And then I was in the oil and gas industry, selling into that industry. And the price of oil, literally the month after I joined, the price of oil plummeted from $100 a barrel to $20 a barrel. And that's huge in that industry because that basically yeah. meant like the projects just dried up. So you can be the greatest salesman in the world, but there was no projects to sell to. So I really kind of learned my skills. And I used to say it's like, my job was like selling ice to the Eskimos or, or sand to the Arabs. I'm sorry if that's not very PC, but you, you know, you, you get the idea. Like, yeah, and yeah. If you can do that and, and we had success and took that uh, side of the business from a standing start really to 5 million turnover over a hundred different projects. And we would, uh, our sort of gross margin was about 30, 40%. Um, when I got into property, I thought, flipping it, this is easy, you know, compared to what I had to do. And some of the places in the world I had to go to, like Saudi Arabia and, and, and places like that to sell, actually properties are walking the park compared to that. So, yeah, it was very much a, a good training ground. And when did it float in, in your exit? So you joined 2014 and then how long were you there? I joined in 2014 as a like, sales manager. A couple of years in, we, we'd had some good growth and I got offered... Um, I got offered some shares for a, a very small amount of money and it was really to try and I think keep us in and you know sell the dream of let's sell to another business um, in 2018 we actually floated in June 2018 we floated the company was turning over about 25 million and we wow. floated that business for 65 million uh, pounds sterling so like it was a great success story it was very much about timing that small investment I had and, and look, I didn't get the lion's share of 65 million, you know, let, let me just be clear, but it was probably one of the best investments I have ever made in terms of return on investment. Mm. And um, it was great to be part of that as a young management team to, to have that success story and only really have been there sort of four or five years and, and been able to make a, a, a big contribution. Wow. It's impressive. Um, thanks for that, Charlie. Just, just on that as well, I think it's also an important point you rose towards the end there was the best return on investment. Or what, I think you said one of the best returns on investment you've ever... Say financially. <laughs> financially. But my point was going to be a lot of people in our circles and people that we speak to and the people that, you know, online and stuff, a lot of people think property is the only way and the only ROI that they look at. You know, businesses, setting up a business 
or being involved at, at a senior level of a business can be a much better return mm. than property. You know, certainly not putting down property. I'll always do property, but I think I'll always do business as well because some of the returns, if you're getting at the right stage, that if your timing's right, for some of these tech businesses, that the ROI is 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 crazy. I don't think you'd ever yeah. get that from property. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know, I'll just say like. There's a saying, isn't there? Like entrepreneurs work for free. Like it, for me, it, it was never about floating the business. That was an idea that came, you know, a few years in when it, we, we thought, well, you know, why don't we have a go? Um, so I was just passionate. I was enjoying what I was doing. And I think when you when you get that passion and you do it, you know, the, the results followed because we were we were sort of living and breathing what we were doing and, and, and growing that business. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think property is it's great fun. You know, it's an adventure. It's a roller coaster. There's ups and downs. Um, but for me, it's it's part of what I'm doing at the moment. You know, there's a purpose to it. But my passion is to do things like wider and further afield that could be in, in many different industries. And mm. it's never really been about trying to make the most biggest return on investment you can on that one particular thing. So. Love that. Love that. Diversifying is key, you know. Yeah. For sure. Um, love that, Charlie. Thank you. Um, so if we look at, we talked a bit about the start, but sort of moving into the into the middle part. So what was, oh, why why did you make the um, decision to leave that successful career that you had and mm. go full-time into property? Was there a main reason, multiple reasons? So one of the big, I would say like the turning point was having a young family. So in my 20s, you know, traveled all over the world. It was fine. It's all about you, isn't it? You know, you've not got to think about like feeding little hungry mouths or, or being, <laughs> yeah. being back at the weekend to do stuff. And then when kids came along, um, life's perspective changed. You know, life's about creating those memories and, and being able to build into my children in the same way that my parents built into me it has become a, a bigger and bigger factor in, in my life. And and, and so I wanted to dedicate more time to that, not less. And there was just a few things like I missed my daughter's first steps. I mean, I could have missed them if I was in the country, but I, I happened to be traveling on business. So I got a video, you know, over FaceTime. Um, I was in Malaysia the day before my son was born. I had to fly back um, sort of like, you know, um, middle of the night to get back in time. Thankfully, I did. But these were just things like I'm, I'm potentially missing life like once in a lifetime moments because I'm trying to close a deal in Singapore or, or in Houston. Uh, and so, you know, the job was phenomenal. Like it, it was great. Uh, it was a dream job in, in many ways, but I always had this itch, this entrepreneurial itch, you know, watching my father as I was growing up, he, he created businesses fun and, and just loved it. He had such a up and down life, you know, he'd make loads of money, lose it all, make more. And, and, and it was like, he just had that, that gene in him, you know? And so I always had this thing of like, I want to do that. Um, and it just so happened that when kids came along, I think that was the push. And really when I look at it, it's like, I sort of had more to lose at that point. So really I should have done it a lot sooner, but I, it was the urgency to say, let's create a life that we don't have to turn up nine o'clock, go home at five, live for the weekend. Let's create a life where we can be parents, business owners, and have that flexibility. Love that. It's a really powerful point there. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. I know I certainly can. I set up the main business that I'm involved in, you know, I think it was six months before Ali was, was born. And 
you know, it is when you miss stuff, it does get to you a little bit, doesn't it? Mm. Stuck between I want I love my career and I want to make money and achieve big things, but you've also got to, you know, you've got to you've got to be there for your kids, haven't you? Um, yeah. I think I think too many people chase money, and in the um, yeah, the, the the lose things, don't they? You know, the, mm-hmm. the sacrifice relationships or being a parent or friendships just for the sake of money. When um, I think some people don't, unfortunately, they only realise this when they're a bit older than us. I think some mm-hmm. people don't. Um, that's a fair play to you. It's, it's a brave move and it's a it's honourable thing as it, it, a father, isn't it? I think it's a mm-hmm. it's a really great thing you've done there. Um, fair play. How are little kids now? you've got your hands full haven't you i've got my hands full yeah so we've got we've got six-year-old uh we've got a three-year-old and we've got a little lockdown Um, (laughs) one-year-old she was a pleasant surprise (laughs) um but yeah but we're done we're done at three so two i was gonna say is that you done now that's me done yeah two two girls and one in the middle and a boy in the middle and um it's crazy it's chaotic it's stressful you know what what it's all about um but some of my most heartwarming moments obviously with my kids and my family and um yeah, yeah and and as i get a bit older realize that that's what it's all about isn't it mm, definitely yeah. there's, there's a great book i've actually been recommended this book i haven't actually read it so i'm saying it's great multiple people have told us that it's great and it's 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 really relevant to what you just said which is why I'll, I'll bring it up it's called the seven regrets of the dying mm. and what my good friend told us it's about anyway is interviewed loads of people it's quite a morbid book i suppose but interviewed loads of people who were in a hospice and they were due to die and mm-hmm. you know there was things like i wish i spent more time with my family i wish i you know didn't ruin that relationship or whatever it may be there's none of them say i wish i worked more yeah. and i think that's really powerful when you get to that stage in your life you're not going to regret you might regret maybe he's not taking a chance or setting up a business but you won't regret you won't think i wish i worked 12 hour days instead of eight you know you won't but you will regret not doing stuff with your family so I, I can really relate to what you're saying I think yeah I think, I think the, the thing that hangs over my head is I don't think I don't think anyone's ever looked back on the life and said I wish I'd spent less time with my kids exactly exactly and, you know there are times like now I'm at home like my kids you know they might come in in a minute they just they don't see boundaries and doors and things right um but but like uh sometimes it's a bit intense and I'm like I quite like my little three-day trip to Dubai and get a good night's sleep and, and, and a <laughs> yeah. steak dinner but you know I wouldn't have it any other way and yeah. we, we have to remind ourselves like these, these moments go so quick don't they and mm. before long I mean we're saying now like could just do with a bit of a break from them every now and then but before long we'll be wishing they won't be wanting to come home <laughs> <laughs> well yeah exactly they won't want to know us exactly so you know while they are relatively friendly towards us now we'll lap it up yeah love that Love that. Thanks, Charlie. So let, let's let's talk a little bit about property. So um, how did you first get into property? How did that start and where you're sort of at now with it? Yeah, so, and it kind of ties into the family thing because, uh, and, and, and death, really, you know, just, just to talk about um, that for a little bit. The first seed for me that was sown in property was through my dad. My dad was a property investor and developer um, in like the 80s and 90s, and then he moved back into his first love engineering but, was he was he was he sorry up there, Charlie? Was he what at what scale was he doing property? Do you know? Was he he was building small developments like blocks of flats and houses around Cheshire and oh, um and, and so you know not not on a huge scale. And I think in the end, I think he packed it in because 
I think he just got a bit sick of the building side of it, you know, yeah. materials going missing on site, like, you know, dealing with trades and, and all of <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, but when I was 21, um, me and my mate, me and my best mate were living together and we were talking about, you know, let's become billionaires before we're 30, what we're going to do. And we were like, right, let's buy a, let's buy an end terrace in Bradford because he's from Bradford. We'll turn the downstairs into a shop and the upstairs into a flat. Like, I was like, great idea. Let's let's write to the only person we knew who knew anything about property, which was my dad at the time. Mm. And basically uh, wrote to my dad, just said, what do you think of this idea? Um, me and Rory think it could be a, could be a good way to you know make a bit of money. And my dad wrote back to me like an, an email, proper business like, you know, but it was like a, a father's letter to a son. He was like, right, son. Property is a great route to wealth. Uh, you make your money when you buy. You need your little black book of trades. Don't be paying architects a percentage. Pay them a fixed fee. You know, there's all these little wow. golden nuggets that at the time I was like, oh, this is good. But I didn't really know what to do with it. And um, so I kept that. And um, that was basically the, the last thing I ever had in writing from my dad. Three days later, he, he was... Um, he, he was in a helicopter crash and basically died on impact. And so that was the, the very last thing that I had that was kind of his sort of letter to me. And at his funeral, my, my friend Rory just said, keep hold of that because one day that'll be a blueprint for you to, to build a, a property business. And so, you know, like having a, a death so close to, to me uh, in my early twenties um, had, a, had obviously had a big impact and, you sort of have two choices at that point, you know, you kind of wallow and sort of woe is me and go down a path of sort of self-pity and things like that. Or you can sort of try and look at it another way and say, you know, what would your dad want? And, and how can you live out a legacy that would make him proud, you know, and draw on all the privileges I had up to that point? Because um, I think it was, I was 23, actually, I think at the time. Um, but, you know, I, I chose to look at it as, I'm grateful for the years I did have with him, you know, and yes, I'd love to have him as a business mentor going forwards, but life happens and things will happen in your life that you don't have control over. And that was one of those things. So that then took me on a process and I realized this is a long winded way of answering how I got into property. No, 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 it's, it's... That, that then took me over the next five, 10 years of going and finding advice and support from really like father figures in business. And, and I just, I wasn't shy. You know, I just, I, I asked direct questions because I didn't have my dad. Uh, I couldn't go to him anymore. So I decided to go to people I respected uh, within business. And then when kids came along, thought, right, property, dig out the old blueprint and let's see what we can do. And so long story, less long, long story shorter. Um, I then read, read books, podcasts, went and did a few few courses and um, and got myself a coach and a mentor and somebody who could help um, take us on that that, um, that next step. So that's it. Amazing. And then really we started investing kind of sort of 2017 time. That, that was when we really kicked on with our, our investing. Pushed on. I'm sure just to, to go back a step as well, I'm sure you would be proud as well, Charlie. Like, um, don't know, I don't know you that well, but great dad, great, you know, very, very knowledgeable in property and, and obviously successful in property and business. So I'm sure you would, mate. Um, so on the property side, um, about let's hear what you, has your strategy changed? Is it, do you love one strategy more than another? Where's, where are you sort of at with property? 
Yeah. Um, so again, there was a, there was a purpose to why we did property initially. Initially, it was let's replace our income from the corporate world. And even before getting to that, we were like, let's just get to two thousand pound a month. You know, cover the bases, mortgage bills, out mm. like basic outgoings. So we um, we were living up in the northeast, as you know, is mm. pretty pretty decent investment area. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we looked into buy to lets first, kind of start with something that was lower risk, lower return, but we could really cut our teeth on. Mm-hmm. And then we moved on to HMOs, smaller HMOs. Um, I mean, the biggest HMOs we do is up to six bed. Don't really go above that. Um, and we, we quite like keeping it at that. So for a few years, we invested in that strategy, buy to lets HMOs, just, just kept going. And then in recent times, we've moved more into the commercial conversion space and also um, land development is, is something that's, that we've got running at, at the moment. So when I say commercial conversions, larger buildings, like we've got a grade two listed chapel in North Wales and also a, um, a pub up in the Northeast um, that we're converting into multiple apartments. So the chapel is going to be seven apartments. The pub's going to be 12 apartments. And really it was about focusing, I guess, more effort on fewer projects and testing myself a little bit because I always wanted to do something a little bit bigger. Um, and, and so, yeah, we've got those running through at the moment, um, but that's, that's nice. kind of where we're up to today. Nice. Sounds good. Some exciting stuff. And, and Jolly will say it towards the end where to find him and stuff, but look at the stuff he's doing online. There's some um, very active on socials on you. Um, I think yeah. he must be one of the funniest property people on Instagram. I know I say that to you. Good, he's good crack on uh, on social media, but oh, sounds like it's some ex- some exciting stuff going on. Um, sounds good. What 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 do you prefer though? Do you prefer the challenging stuff? Because I know we spoke about planning a bit, and um, I think that's challenging. Do yeah. You, do you prefer the more complex stuff, or do you prefer the easier stuff, or do you just do stuff so, that you're challenging yourself? Or what? I, I like doing deals, you know, going back to the sales side of thing. I like the chase, the hunt, you know, go for the kill and then go see Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just thrive off that. So if, if I if, if I smell an opportunity or I see something, I, I just kick into like overdrive and I really want to close the deal. And I, whether that's a learned behavior or whether that's something that's kind of ingrained within me, you know, DNA similar to my dad, um, I don't know. But that's what I buzz off. So once the deal's done, I'm sort of mentally, I've already developed it. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. sometimes forget you've still got that bit to do. Um, but so I would say I, I like that side of it, whether it's a buy to let or a HMO or a commercial conversion, that's the bit that really kind of I, I thrive off. Um, practically, yeah, what I found in the last few years, things that you can't control like the planning process, um incredibly frustrating you know feel sort of shackled not being able to push things through as quickly as we'd like Mm. however they are bigger projects so there's a bigger reward at the end um so i think the kind of jury's still out i think my wife would say the buy to lets because you can just just rack them up can't you just keep buying keep buying simple and repeatable but there's there's this itch in me to kind of try something new and do something a bit different so um yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. But... Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, it does. No, it's just interesting. I'm asking a lot of the property people on the show about that because I think one of the problems with property, it is it is a positive as well, but one of the problems is there's that many different strategies and there's that yeah. many different people talking about these different strategies. I think some people listen to too many people mm. and then what that does is it clouds the judgment and then they don't end up doing anything. Yeah. Um, 
but you started off here battle left, right? Then HMOs, then the bigger stuff. Is that kind of your sort of yeah? So we we were very like I I will openly admit I was very scattergun early on. I try mm. I tried to do a lease option on a care home that the Church of Scientology owned. And it got so ridiculous. I went and had a pint at the pub next door because I thought I'd, I'd get information from the landlord. And, uh, you know, in my head, it was an amazing idea. And eventually someone sort of sat us down and went, you're all over the place. What are you doing? You know, you're trying to like do lease options and you're just seeing every strategy and trying to go for it. And that was when it came down to how much money per month? What, what's the purpose of you doing this? You know, yeah, exactly. You know, is it number of houses? Is it amount of money per month? And for us, it was we need to get to a figure per month. And you can you can break that down into how many buy to lets do you need and how many HMOs. Right, you need four buy to lets bringing in two fifty a month and one HMO at a grand. You need five houses. Go find them. Forget care homes. Forget anything else. Just ignore all of them and focus on that. And once we did that, we really started to motor, and and that's where we really got traction and momentum. Simplicity, isn't it? Yeah. Simple goals, breaking it down. Love that. Yeah. Actually, I think that's great advice for a lot of people. There will definitely be people listening to this who either start on different property or the the looking at the bigger stuff without you know learning to walk before they can run type thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. Um, thanks, Charlie. So sort of a little bit about where we are now. Um, going forward, are you? Is that where your your retention is? Is it all the bigger stuff, or I think you still just recently bought a buy let though, didn't you? Um, yeah. So in the immediate future, we've got these larger development projects to build out so they've both been bought the the pub and and the hotel or uh, sorry the the church and the pub slash hotel mm-hmm. slash whatever you want to call it it's a big old lump of building <laughs> lump it is, um, yeah. not trying to claim i'm some sort of hotelier um, <laughs> just what it's called the beeswing hotel um, yeah. so we've got those to build out um and then the church we're going to sell those apartments and with the beeswing with the pub we're going to retain them um, but yeah, we've also got HMO going through and, and did a buy to let recently. Um, nice. And I've got my own house and, and family were doing work there. So really this year is about kind of being quite disciplined to, to deliver what we've done. Mm. Um, and then I think I'll look ahead in the, in the next year, uh, whether I want to do something different. I, I, I've got, uh, you know, a passion for property. I enjoy it, but I've got a bigger passion to sort of use the skills I've learned within property to try and do some some really good things. I think that's one characteristic I noticed in my dad is he was he was quite, you know, he was a different kind of character and personality. He wasn't big and loud. He was sort of a behind the scenes guy, but he would help a lot of people that you just wouldn't, you wouldn't see it unless you knew him, you know, but he would use his business skills to kind of fight the corner for like, like friends and people in the community. And that's something I always admired is that you can, you can take your, your, your skills and your talents and apply them to help maybe a charity or an organization that perhaps needs those skills. Um, I get, get a big, big sort of kick out of that. I don't know if, that is, if, if that's a, a, a positive thing, you know? Yeah, no, I, don't, no, um, I think giving back something that, well, you hear about people doing it, but I'm sure there's still a lot of people who are very wealthy and very successful who, who don't give back. And, you know, and there's only so much money that you can I, have. I feel like happiest when when I when I give. And that might sound really weird, but I think it's it's very rewarding to be able to impart something that's cost you to to somebody else. And and I and I just I, you know I really believe like the world of the generous grows larger and larger. And if you've ever heard that, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, and I think 
when we start becoming quite insular and closed off and like me, 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 and when it all becomes about you as an individual and what you can build your empire on, then I, I sort of feel like you, you don't have as a re rewarding a life. Mm, so, sure. you know, that's something I try and remind myself of. Um, Love that. If only, if only everybody thought like that, I think the world would be a very, very different place. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think um, strange times that we live in. But, yeah, you know, definitely. I love that. Thanks, Charlie. Um, so, what advice is a very generic question, but um, well, maybe he's breaking it into two questions. And actually, um, what advice would you give to people just starting off in property? First, first question um, in terms of strategizing and just some general tips because you're very experienced and knowledgeable. What what advice would you give to to people starting off? I think the biggest thing is to take your time getting your initial plan right. And, and what I mean by that is quite often people are inspired by what they see online, social media and other people's accounts, but they're almost seeing the tail end of years and years of, of being invisible and unknown, like putting the work in and, and building the foundations. And, and that was certainly us. Like we're, we're by no means have a, a, a large following online but we, we get nice comments and we get messages from people who kind of want to do what we're doing um but they're maybe not seeing the sacrifices and the 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 stress and the work that's gone in over the last five ten years so take your time what, what i would say is like look at your circumstances and what you want to achieve in the next 12 months 24 months and then align a plan and work with somebody who can help you get to that point and you almost have to block out all the other noise because like you said already, if you just start looking at what someone's doing over there or what someone's doing over there, you just get analysis paralysis and, and you'll just become a busy fool, like running around all over the place, committing a lot of time to very little. You know, so you're better off kind of looking at get a plan, have a look at it, break it down and be very disciplined about executing that plan with somebody who's experienced, who can help you and help you avoid a lot of the pitfalls. And, and so that, that would be my sort of one piece of advice, particularly for people starting out in property. Love that. That's great advice. And it, it's the simple things, isn't it? It's a sim mm. some of the simplest things that people don't do, right? Making a goal list, action points and action steps that you need to do to get that goal. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Like my, my dad used to write business plans on napkins. You know, I, get, I and I do it now, you know, You'll, you'll probably get it next time I'm up in Newcastle. We'll go out for lunch and just get a napkin <laughs> yeah. out and a pen and start writing. Honestly, the, yeah. the best plans are written on back of yeah. a fag packet or or, uh, or a napkin if you don't smoke. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, man. Love that. And what advice would you give to somebody maybe who's bought a few properties, more handful of properties, five, ten, whatever properties, and maybe they're looking... Because I know some people in this sport, you see, so I know some people where... They've got some property, you know, four or five properties. Some of the lads do here for me and they're lacking a little bit of motivation. They're maybe done four or five battlelets. It's like same old, same old. Then maybe it's the people that they're in their circle aren't achieving very much so that, you know, they mm -hmm. think they're the man, they think they're doing really well. Like the comfort zone almost is what but, I'm getting yeah. to. You know, how do you, because you seem to have changed your levels and your standards and what you want to quite a few times, leaving yeah. the corporate world to placing your income to moving the HMOs into bigger stuff. What's your advice for those type people who maybe want to take things next level? I, I think getting comfortable is, is kind of one of the most dangerous things because you, you just sort of tread water and 
you know, not just sort of sail along in life without much purpose or direction, you know. And mm. so for us, when I look at like the key milestones in in the last 10 years, it's been times where I've either got really irritated about something, you know, to the point of frustration of like, I need to do something about this, or there's there's been a massive sort of move because of like something like kids, you know, which is which is huge. That's a real heart thing, isn't it? To mm. to do. Yeah, yeah. So I would say to those people who are maybe feeling a little bit flat, a little bit lethargic, you know, you, you maybe need to take yourself out of that environment that you're in and get around people that are going to spark you into having ideas of something you can get passionate about. Because I, I just think like when you get passionate about something, it's almost you can have a bad night's sleep and you'll still wake up the next day and smash out 12 hours, you know, like working on that thing because you, you just you're alive, you know, and, and you're motivated. And I think that rubs off on other people as well. So, mm-hmm. so if, if you're in that, that position, um, firstly, identify you're in that position. That's all right. You know, like we, we, you get to that point and go, okay, maybe I need to do something. But then change your environment to try and get you that little spark. I, I mean, you can use loads of analogies, can't you? It's like the gym. You just sat on the sofa. You've kind of like, you're just going to sit there all the time. But if you get yourself out in an environment with people who like to keep fit, they're going to encourage you and, and inspire you to want to do that. And so you're going to start going to the gym and finding it a bit easier. So I think it's the same in, same in business, change environment. And, and I definitely think I've, there's been times I've got comfortable and then I've, I, I get this little voice in my head, you know, it's like the little devil and angel on your shoulder. And it's like, come on, yeah. come on, Charlie, it's time for a change. And sometimes that's counterculture. And sometimes it's against the advice of people that love you the most, like your family and, and friends who might not have that same mentality as you and they might be trying to give you advice out of, out of loving you, but they don't realize that actually for you to, to fulfill your potential and, and, you know, really kind of develop those business ideas, you've got to think a bit differently and you've got to take a few risks. So, you know, you, you've kind of got yourself around people that are going to, you, you need to get yourself around people that are going to tell you to go for it and not try and try and hold you back. Love that. And that's great, great advice. You know, um, I'm not sure who says the quote. I think it's I think it's Grant Cardona. Someone maybe he says, like, you know, someone who's achieving more than you or doing more than you in a particular area or field, they'll never tell you to slow down. They'll never yeah. tell you to, you know, stop doing all that. You're thinking too big. It's only the people who are doing less than you that ever see that. And I know sometimes family and friends are, are being cautious and telling you not to take the risks from a, a point of caring. But, you know, the, the chat, the conversations are so much different when you speak to people who are achieving more than you've achieved in, in, yeah. that, in a particular field on. And, that, that's and that's really the relevant. tell, isn't it? Like poker, there's a tell, there's a, an indication. And if you are in an environment where you're getting that quite a lot of like, maybe you should slow down, maybe you should do this or that, that's probably telling you, you know, it's, it's time it's to circle. step yeah, up yeah. and do something different. Love that. So go for it, yeah. Yeah, man, love that. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, last question is the show is called um the rags to riches show so what does being rich mean to you because you can be rich in time friendships relationships monetary terms loads of different things but what does being rich mean to you so yeah i think to me as i mentioned by by many measures, my upbringing and how I've got to where I am today, you know, and private education, went to university and things, you know, in, in many eyes, that that's a, a rich upbringing. So, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious. I don't have a, 
I grew up with nothing and I've ended up with everything. That, that That's not my, my story. I think um, I've certainly had a, a process of having a few big impacts, impactful changes in my life through losing my dad and some other, other things that have gone on that have maybe taken me to a place of emotional rags um, to then build that up. But I think rich to me is about a life, living a life rich in experiences rich in in generosity in in showing love to other people and i, I know that might sound a bit wishy-washy and emotional but no, no. like at the end of the day we've, we've only got one life you know and life is short and i don't want to be known for like the stuff you have or you know in that sense i, w- I want to be somebody that cares about other people that's a great dad and uh, to my kids and husband to my wife and that is somebody that will go above and beyond to, to help others and and to try and live out my full potential and and that's that's what I'd say. Love that. It's one of my favourite answers so far. I think love that. Love Thank that. You. Rich in experiences as well. It's something that nobody's mentioned because you can't be if you if you've travelled the world and you've done all these exciting things, even things with your family in the local area, just doing nice things. You know, some of these things that money can't can't buy, can they? I know that's a really <laughs> cliche thing to say as well, but some some of these experiences money cannot buy. Um. That's a really great answer, and I think um, I've really enjoyed this interview. I think great, great. Um, you're a great guy, Charlie, and I think if anyone wants to contact you, if anyone wants to follow what you're doing, what's the what's the sort of best way? Yeah, so we're on social media channels. Um, you can you know find me personally on places like LinkedIn, uh, Charlie Sullivan, uh, or in terms of the business, the property business, it's Capstone Fox Properties. So we're on uh, Facebook. Instagram and, and LinkedIn as well. And uh, yeah, give us a follow on there. And if you've got any questions or uh, any feedback, you know, send us a message and I'll do my best to respond. Love that. Just one last thing, actually. What, why Capstone Fox? What does that mean? So Where's we wanted to create a name that was quite unique. You know, there's a lot of property business names out there. Um, and we wanted it to kind of be a nod to both of our families. So my, my wife, Jeeling, uh, her family, um, her dad was a roofer. Uh, up in up in Newcastle, uh, God's, and God's country, yeah, in God's country, <laughs> and his company was called Capstone Roofing. You know, the capstone oh, yeah. being symbolic of a really the really important part of the building that kind of uh, provides integrity and strength. So you know, it symbolizes trust and stability, and we like that. It was like a building term we could put in the name, and the fox came from my my father, my side of the family. Um, my dad's property company was called. Uh, Tony Sullivan Developments, uh, but he had a logo, uh, which was a fox. And he mentions this logo in the letter that he wrote to me all those years ago. And he said, wow. he said, Charlie, a fox is a great um, symbol for uh, a property business. And he said, because a fox will wait all night for the toad to come out of the hole before it strikes. And that's the patience, cunning and timing that you need to be successful in property. Wow. And so we put that in the name and uh, yeah. And I keep seeing foxes all over the place now. And every time I do, I think you need to be more cunning. I, d- I didn't actually know oh, that. And that's that's great. That name. I, I was expecting something like, oh, I like foxes or something really. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, but love that. It's got meaning. It's got purpose. And yeah, yeah, foxes do that, don't they? And it's so relevant to property, isn't it? Waiting for the right deal, not not jumping. Yeah. In. yeah. And sometimes you got to be a bit of a pest. Yeah, yeah, best of them agents. Risk, get, risk getting shot by the farmer, but back on. <laughs> Love that, man. Charlie, thank you so much. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, mate. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Take care.